Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole well good thing instacart shoppers are as picky as you are they find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line they are milk expiration date detectives they bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are so let instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Royally Us. I'm your host, Christina Garibaldi, and this week it is all about Harry and Meghan's bombshell tell-all interview. We will break down all the big revelations, share the palace's response, and how the family moves forward after these shocking allegations. As always, I was joined by Molly Mulshine, the host of the Diva Behavior Podcast. And this week, we invite royal author and commentator Pauline McLaren and personal branding and reputation management expert Lita Citrian to give us their insight into this historic royal interview. And Molly, oh my God, we have so much to unpack. So much. This was like the Royal Super Bowl. Really I just was. can't get, I'm still processing it. So, I mean, there were so many shocking bombshells in this uh, two-hour interview. I mean, what was the most shocking moment for you? Well, of course, the most shocking thing in terms of just being appalled was the comment about Archie's skin tone. Unfortunately, it wasn't super surprising. So I think the most surprising shocking thing was the fact that Archie was not offered a title and they and that the royal family did not want to pay for his security because there was such a different narrative drilled into our heads for Mm -hmm. months around his birth that Meghan and Harry didn't want a title and that it wasn't the palace. It was because they were sort of, people were implying that Meghan and Harry thought they were almost like too good for the system. And Mm -hmm. it just turns out that wasn't the case at all. It wasn't the case at all. So I was doing a little bit of research about this. And I guess because they are the great grandchildren, they don't get a title until Charles becomes king. But back in 2011, Queen Elizabeth did make an exception or she changed the rule a little bit and Prince George, Prince Louis and Prince Princess Charlotte all have titles. So I guess they felt that, you know, I'm still a great grandchild, even though I'm not next in line for the throne, my child should also be given a title and protection as well. Right. It is a murky issue because there are grandchildren of the queen who don't have titles. So I think from the palace's perspective and the fact that Charles has been saying for years that he wants to slim down the monarchy, it's like, okay, why would they give 
him a title. They want fewer people to have titles. But I think, you know, the optics of it is you have the first biracial grandchild in this family and they're going to have no title while their cousins have titles. So that is, it's just bad optics, I right. think. And, yeah. and especially the image that they have, the the notoriety that, you know, so many people want to take their picture and want to get next to them and they need that protection. She was getting death threats. He was getting death threats. I mean, above anything, I think that's what they, they probably wanted the most was just the protection. And like, we don't care about the title. Just give us that we feel safe in our home. Right. And I just can't believe that that hasn't been the biggest talking point in the last few days because it seems you know, the protection, the lack of protection, people would argue is the reason why Princess Diana had an mm -hmm. untimely death. And now the same thing is happening to her son and his grandchild. And that is just really, really crazy. What was the most shocking part for you? I mean, I, I definitely think about Archie's skin color and, you know, knowing that racism was such a large part. I mean, Harry did say it was a large part as, as to why we left. And somebody asking about being concerned about how dark his skin color would be. We did, we did hear that it was not Queen Elizabeth or Prince Philip, but it definitely still was a senior member of the royal family. So, I mean, your guess is as good as ours, but I mean, it's, you know, that was definitely shocking. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about her talking about having suicidal thoughts and going through a really, really dark mental health period and not getting the help that she needs. I mean, there was just, there was so much going on here and they really didn't hold anything back. And, you know, a lot of people have mixed reactions to it. A lot of people are saying, you know, they kind of maybe went a little too far or we don't believe them. And, you know, but I, I mean, it's, it's really, it was, it was heartbreaking to watch at certain points. Right. And it was surprising well, also, again, it wasn't too surprising if you've read the books about how mm -hmm. Diana was treated when she married in and everything. It's just, I guess what's surprising is that no one seems to have learned a lesson from it. Nobody really was like, oh, let's make sure that you're feeling comfortable mm -hmm. and make sure that you're feeling good in this role. And it, it, yeah, it just seems like that didn't happen. Yeah, totally. Now on Tuesday, the palace did respond to the interview in a statement. They said, the whole family is saddened to learn the full extent of how challenging the last few years have been for Harry and Meghan. The issues raised, particularly that of race, are concerning. While some recollections may vary, they are taken very seriously and will be addressed by the family privately. Harry, Meghan, and Archie will always be much-loved family members. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about how the palace should handle this situation going into our interview with Lita, but she does echo that the family should have made a family statement, and it seems like that is what they did. But let's talk a little bit more about this interview with Harry and Meghan and some more of those shocking revelations. All right, well, like we said, another big moment was when Meghan revealed that she was having suicidal thoughts and was going through a really dark period while she was pregnant with Archie, so take a look. But I knew that if I didn't say it, that I would do it. And I, I just didn't, I just didn't want to be alive anymore. I mean, we knew Megan was suffering. She did that interview with ITV and she said that she was not okay, but I don't think people understood that it was this bad. Right. I was really surprised by that. And I was surprised by how specific she was when she talked about it. You know, this was not just, you know, your regular run of the mill, not feeling well, not feeling up to it. It was really, truly a crisis for her. And yeah, it's really surprising that 
there was no help given to her. What did you think about that? I, that that shocked me because if somebody is considering suicide and you say that that, that is not a good look for the institution, like come on. I mean, this woman is crying for help. She needs somebody. She needs help. She said that, you know, she would go to, and people didn't have to know. She could have done this all under wraps. Nobody needed to know about it, but they just wouldn't give her the, uh, allegedly wouldn't give her the help that she needed. And that is what's so disheartening. And just, I mean, yes, obviously everybody says the work of the crown is the, is fiction, but we saw in this uh, year's season of the crown when Diana kept repeatedly going to the queen asking for help and they just kind of refuse her. So it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's a really, that was a bad look. Yeah. I mean, it's also so crazy because she said that she basically didn't leave the house for four months and no one really noticed. She clearly could have gone out somewhere and gotten some treatment. She could have even just gotten treatment that didn't require like inpatient or something Mm -hmm. like that. And it seems that that wasn't even given to her as an option. And it also just makes you think, boy, what are some of the other things that have happened within the royal family that were a way worse look than having to get a mental health treatment that seemed to just be brushed under the rug? Right, and for a family that advocates for mental health so much and for them to just kind of turn a blind eye to it is just unfathomable to me. It really is. I know. I don't think we're going to be hearing much about the Heads Together campaign in the near future. Yeah, I don't think so either. (laughs) No. Well, the couple also discussed the status of their relationship with certain members of the royal family, and Megan finally addressed that rift with Duchess Kate. Take a look. A few days before the wedding, she was upset about something pertaining to, yes, the issue was correct, about flower girl dresses, and it made me cry and it really hurt my feelings. I mean, we'd heard for months that, you know, Kate was the one that was crying, that Megan made her cry, but it turns out it was this reverse situation. Obviously, emotions are always heightened around weddings and, you know, a lot of things can be said that it's not um, the right way, but at least she said that Kate did apologize and they are totally fine. She thinks, she does think that she is an amazing woman, but um he, you know, Harry had a lot to say about Charles, which I thought was really interesting too. Yes. I mean, the fact that Charles stopped taking his calls around the time of when they dropped the statement that they were leaving, it seems that they felt that was their only option was to drop the statement because they stopped taking their calls. This was not, again, not super surprising, but it was good to have it confirmed that they had such a hard time getting in contact with the queen and Prince Charles throughout this whole process. Like, Harry said that at one point they were supposed to be meeting with the queen about something and then they were just informed, oh no, she's busy all week. And it's like, she's the queen. She Doesn't she get to set her own schedule? I would think that. Another thing that but it was weird to me because he said, you know, I talk to my grandmother more than I do ever in the past. So it's like, why couldn't she step in and help them? Like that, that was a little bit of a disconnect to me because it was like, well, if you're still so close to her, why isn't she reaching out a hand to help? Or like, you know, because she is, she is the queen. She should get final say. But he said that he has, she has all these advisors in her head that are kind of telling her, you know, giving her poor advice and that's who she listens to. Right. I, it's just, it, it doesn't make any sense. And it's interesting that they did go out of their way to say that they're still on good terms with the queen and Prince right. Philip because Diana did the same thing in her famous interview with Martin Bashir where she said, she had nothing but good things to say about the queen. Right. So, but then you just kind of have to wonder where does this 
culture come from in this family of arguing and falling out of contact with each other and, you know, jockeying for position and things like that. If it doesn't come from the very top, where is it coming? Where is it coming from? And like, is it the family or is it the institution? And like, you know, I think, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that a little little later on the difference between the two, because that was a big part of the conversation too. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, it was sad when Harry opened up about his relationship with William and just called it my relationship with him is space. Like, it just doesn't seem like they have any sort of relationship really anymore. And he's hoping that time will heal all wounds. But it seems like he and Charles and William have a very, very strange relationship. Yeah, it's really a bummer. It's just sad. It's yeah. it's unfortunate that they can't put everything behind them. And I don't think this interview is going to help them put no. anything behind no. them. Yeah, I mean, Charles was really recently... Uh, out at a public event and a reporter asked him about it. He kind of ignored the reporters. And then one of the reporters said he laughed and carried on walking, which I mean, I, I, I can't, I just, I, I don't, I don't understand it, but yeah. yeah. One of the, on one of the daytime shows over here in the UK, one of the commentators was saying, Oh, you know, he stopped answering calls from his son. Haven't we all been there? And I was like, have we all have been we? there? Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't it's, think. No, I think in most families, you want to sit down and figure out and try to come up with a way to, you know, figure out a solution to the problems, especially if your kids are suffering. You would think that he would want to be the first one to help him. But I mean, right. it wasn't a fact that like he said something bad about Charles and Charles got offended. This was him having a cry for help. And yeah, ignored. So I don't know. Well, surely there was some other uh, royal news going on. And shortly before the interview aired, Queen Elizabeth did make an address for Commonwealth Day and praised individual acts of courage. Take a look. We have an opportunity to reflect on a time like no other. Whilst experiences of the last year have been different across the Commonwealth, stirring examples of courage, commitment, and selfless dedication to duty have been demonstrated in every Commonwealth nation and territory. Obviously, this was a stark difference to last year's Commonwealth, which was the last time that we saw Harry, Meghan, and the rest of the royal family together. Yes, and this was the infamous time that William and Kate kind of snubbed them as they were taking their seats, which just replays in my head constantly. (laughs) Totally, the icy look. Um, And then moving on to Prince Philip, the Duke is recovering after heart surgery and will remain in treatment for a number of days. I mean, he's been in the hospital for several weeks now, and, you know, he did undergo a successful heart surgery. Yes, and that's great news. And it seems that Meghan actually called the Queen directly to find out how Prince Philip was doing. And like we said, it's surprising because it seems like they didn't have that direct line to the Queen before. Right, yeah. No, it is nice. that I, I love how they have like the Queen on speed dial now and they could just call her whenever she wants. So yeah. <laughs> that is nice. All right, well, now it is time to spill the royal tea. And to help us do that is professor and author of Royal Fever, the British Monarchy in Consumer Culture, Pauline McLaren. I mean, after this, I mean, do you think Harry can have any type of relationship with his family after this? I mean, it's not like Harry... Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Well, I I frankly can't see how how he can, actually. I mean, he, he kept talking that he's working hard on his relationship with his father, and he kept, you know, indicating that he wants to mend the relationship. But to me, the way they were approaching the interview was kind of burning bridges, really. You know, I, I, I imagine that the, um, and, and word has it, uh, 
I don't know how true it is that um, William is, you know, beyond angry with it, um, understandably. So I can't see uh, how they can get a way back, you know, it's very difficult. Um, Yeah. Do you think, because, you know, Harry, it was interesting that he said that, you know, he's talked to his grandma more than he has in a very long time during this past year. Do you think that this interview is going to change that relationship with the Queen as well? Well, again, it's hard to see how she can't feel a little bit um, aggrieved at at the accusations, because although they emphasize that they you know, respect her and adore her and everything else. At the end of the day, this mess is going to land at her 94-year-old feet, really. (laughs) And she's going to have to pick up yet another shambles created by, you know, uh, members of her family. So, yes, I I can't see uh, how she can continue to just say, you know, how's Archie and is everything going well for you over there, dear? You know, (laughs) it's a bit hard to see (laughs) how... Uh, how that's going to play out. But um, relationships within the royal family are very strange, as we know. So I can't really speculate too much. How damaging do you think this is going to be to the palace? And do you feel like they need to respond? I think it's very damaging for the monarchy, actually, and, and especially in the longer term. I think the monarchy has spent a long time making Charles look fit to be king, we know Charles, you know, is not a particularly popular figure and his popularity has been increasing. And we we have seen a huge drive to enhance his image ever since the Diana days and all the awfulness that surrounded that and really tainted Charles and, of course, Camilla. And so they have spent a long time, we, we would say in marketing speak, repositioning. the Charles and Camilla brand within the royal family brand. And it has been very successful up until now. And now we have two things coming together. We have the Crown series that has finally stopped really being very empathetic to the royal family and has shown Charles the relationship between Charles and Camilla, shown it in a pretty negative light just in, in, the, in the most recent series. And it's brought back all the Diana things, all the memories of that and how she was treated. And then that is also coinciding with this interview Um, where we have that all being raised again. So I actually think the big difficulty is going to be going forward. Um, Charles's image in all this, um, I think it's, you know, it's a bit frayed because it's obviously shown, you know, that he, he wasn't supporting Harry, certainly as Harry felt he needed, or Meghan, you know, and that reflects badly on him, I think. Well, Pauline, thank you so much for your insight and intake. This was absolutely wonderful, and we really appreciate you taking the time. (laughs) Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Definitely an interesting perspective, and now we're going to get another interesting perspective from Lita Citroen. She's a personal branding and reputation management expert and is going to help us break down how the palace should handle this situation. Take a look. What do you think was the purpose of this interview from a public image perspective? 
Well, what I would take away from it is there are definitely people who feel that the optics have been controlled, right? And they, they alluded to the perception management that happens in, in the monarchy and I, or the institution, as they said, right? And I think there comes a time, and I know for many of my clients, where they just want their voice heard, right? I want to tell the other side of the story. And for some people, that becomes so compelling that you feel like your narrative can't unfold unless you tell another side of the story. And, and I think that's what I took away the most was here are two people who feel stifled or feel controlled. And, and they just want people to know that, that there is another side of the story. And after that, you know, pick or choose who you, who you want to love. How does the palace respond to this as a PR, you know, for a PR standpoint, how do they handle this situation? Yeah, I think it was interesting that um, headlines yesterday, and, and I don't have insider knowledge, but the headlines were that there were crisis talks in place. You know, th there is an image to protect, and that image goes back generations, right? <laughs> Centuries. So that image is starting to shatter and that has to be horribly disruptive. But it's also not something that happened overnight. It happened months ago. It happened years ago. It started cracking. I mean, they've got other scandals going on that they're trying to manage. I thought Harry's conversation about this, um, what did he call it, an invisible contract that the palace has with the media in the UK, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Mm -hmm. But I think their, their reaction has to be to say something. And if they came forward, I, I guess the feeling I have is if they came forward as a family and sort of took the, the pageantry and the tradition and the royalty hat off and came forward as a family, you know, I think of Charles and how he must have felt hearing his son say he felt abandoned. I mean, if my son said that, I would be devastated and, and I'm not, you know, famous. Um, so I would, I would love to see them come forward in a PR strategy as a family and rally around them as family members that are hurting and deal with maybe the private things offline. Hmm. What would you say is the royal family's current public image? I think it's one that might be in transition and transition is difficult when you're in the middle of it, right? You've got a younger generation coming up who has levers that weren't available before. In the past, you could control the optics, you could control the narrative by using the media, right? If we didn't read it in a newspaper, there were newspapers a long time ago. Um, if we didn't read it in the newspaper or see it on television, we didn't know about it. Uh, uh, maybe a neighbor over the fence would tell us, but we didn't have access to the kind of information we have now. Now anybody with a keyboard and an internet connection can, can publicize information and can promote information, whether it's right or wrong. So the levers that they had and that they could control – if you, if you believe what Harry said and that they were controlled, those have all shifted. And so I think there, there's, a new, there's a new effort to see how they can use things like social media, how they can use word of mouth differently and still keep that perception of pageantry and tradition and, and attachment to something that's bigger than us, but, but make it a little bit more current and a little more, you know, um, sensitive to, to some different needs in the market. Well, thank you so much. This was you. so wonderful and so much great insight and so much and a, a great perspective and a new perspective. So we really appreciate it. Thank you.
Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how the Royals handle this going forward. Their PR teams have their work cut out for them. (laughs) Working overtime. All right, well, moving on to our Royal History Moment of the Week. And like we said before, many are comparing this interview to Princess Diana's 1995 Panorama interview. So take a look at this. I think every strong woman in history has had to walk down a similar path. And I think it's the strength that causes the confusion and the fear. Why is she strong? Where does she get it from? Where is she taking it? Where is she going to use it? I mean, did you definitely, you drew some similarities from Diana's interview to this, right? Absolutely. I mean, one of the biggest similarities that people aren't really talking about is one of the most controversial things in Diana's interview was when she implied that Prince Charles would not be a good king. Mm. And that was something that really, really incensed people. And in this interview, Prince Harry said that he didn't know if William thinks that the monarchy is toxic or not. Right. Yeah. Which is, that's a wild statement to make. Like he's supposed to be king one day and and for the the fact that Harry can't say, oh, no, he definitely loves the monarchy. And instead he's like, oh, yeah, I don't know how he feels about it. That right. I thought was a really in- interesting parallel. Between and, and he said, you know, my brother is trapped. He has he can't get out of this, even if he wanted to. I mean, he's going to be king one day. So he is trapped in this situation. I mean, Harry did say a lot about Diana said that he, she would be very angry about this situation, but also probably saw it coming, which is, you know, they are living off what Diana left him. I mean, because they were cut off financially from the royal family. So they were able to purchase this house out in California with the money that Diana left him because, like he said, she saw it coming. Wild. Wild, wild, so wild. All right. Well, before we wrap up, we have to check in on the royal kids. And Harry and Meghan did reveal some news during the interview. And they are expecting a baby girl. Baby number two is a girl. And we got a little sneak peek of Archie. And they told us his favorite words, which were really cute. Hydrate and drive safe. I love that. That's adorable. That is so cute. And it seems like they are really enjoying California life. You know, he said he takes uh, Archie on bike rides and uh, things like that. So they're, he, and Archie's got his own little chicken coop, which was adorable too. So it seems like they are really enjoying and settling into their life in California. Really sweet. And we saw that really cute video of them running around on the beach. Mm-hmm. Looked like a scene out of Big Little Lies. Very nice. <laughs> It totally did. And they did say no more babies after this. They are happy with their boy and their girl. And she is due sometime this summer. Like we said, uh, Harry is going to get a new title of girl dad coming up in a few months. Definitely exciting. So it was nice to end on a nice note (laughs) after all the drama. Definitely. (laughs) All right. Well, Molly, thank you for breaking down this dramatic bombshell of an interview. And I'm sure we're going to be talking about it for weeks, if not years to come decades even seriously all right well that's (laughs) it for this week's episode of royal es check back every wednesday on us weekly's youtube channel and keep commenting and keep subscribing would love to hear what you guys have to say about this and we will see you guys next week bye